If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua 7, verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribes of Judah was taken, and he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of Zerites, and he brought the family of Zerites man by man. And Zabdiah was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achah the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to God, or to the Lord God of Israel, and make a confession to him, and tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garments, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they buried buried them with fire after they had stoned them with stones or burned them with fire afterwards, after they stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of the place has been called the Valley of Anchor to this day. That means trouble, the Valley of Trouble. Luke uh, Luke 16 and 10. Luke 16, verse 10. Luke 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Dear God, we thank you for the Word. You all thank God for the Word? We thank you that you have preserved the Word, that we have the Word here today, that we can read the Word. We thank you for those who suffered and died so that they might translate it into our language so that we could read it. We thank you, Lord God, that even though most of us in this United States have been blessed by the Word, we have not taken the time to spend, to learn it, to read it, to understand it, or to memorize it. I pray, Lord, that you would help to release in us a desire to study your Word, a desire to learn it, to memorize it, and to uh, apply it to our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little quick history. Uh, The scripture that I read to you there in Joshua, uh, God had told them when you go into this city, everything in this city belongs to God. All the gold, all the silver, everything, it's a tithe to the Lord. Do not bother any of it. Keep your hands off of it. It belongs to Him. Well, our poor brother Achan did not do that. He took something, he coveted it. He took it. Pretty harsh treatment for stealing what belongs to God, don't you think? Uh, 
What in the world is that all trying to tell us? You know, we can read through that and we can maybe get all kinds of ideas. Oh, God's going to kill us for, for, for not giving our tithes. This is not a sermon about tithes. So y'all, those of you that may be squirming a little bit in your seats, you can forget it. It's not about tithes. This is about the least of the things. I take from this scripture that God says what you call least, I call much. What you might consider not that valuable or not that important is very serious to me. That's what I take from that scripture. And in Luke, the 16th chapter and the 10th verse, he says these words. He said, he was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. The word least. In our society and in our culture and in our time, the word least is, is a word that we always use to, uh, to, to uh, uh, apply to something that's really not that valuable or not that important. It's the least. It's the last. But what God is saying is what you call least, I call much. I call it important. Because he says that if you're faithful in the least, you will be faithful in the much. If you're faithful with what is least important, you'll be faithful with what is important. And therefore, God is saying that you cannot overlook what is least in the common people's minds or in their eyes. This is why I was saying I was going to ask the, the women to leave. By the way, where is Joel? <clears throat> Sorry about that. I could say something about that too, but I'm not. Generally speaking, I have often wondered how in the world any of us can manage to go through life without using the bathroom until we get to church. Because we all seem to have that problem, even me. Have you noticed that? I can sit in my house for hours and not have to go to the bathroom. As soon as I come to church, i got to go to the bathroom. It's got to be something physical. <laughs> but even me. You know, I've been to the, I've been to the bathroom twice this morning. It's ridiculous. But anyway, here's my question concerning that which is least. How have you treated your fellow man this week? And being more specifically, or more specific, how have you treated your spouse? How have you treated your spouse this week? If you were, if you're a man, have you yelled at her? Have you raised your voice? Did you lose your temper? Did you blame her for something? Did you say that it was her fault? Did she deserve the attitude that you displayed to her in your relationships this week? And of course you might be able to, to turn that around and say the same thing about a, a woman. But the reason I wanted to ask men that is because what is the first definition of a man? Hmm? That's right. Accepts responsibility. 
So before we dis- discuss what a woman has done, we have to talk about what a man's responsibility is. And the second definition of a man is... And the third... He leads courageously. Right? So, it is a man's responsibility to lead courageously. So he must accept that responsibility. It's not anybody else's job to accept that. It's man's job. You guys don't have any idea. But the day that Brother Sam... By the way, if y'all want to be... Uh, just Google-eyed. He's got about 400 pictures of his wedding on his MySpace if y'all just want to go and and, uh, just look until your eyes drop out. But that day when Sam did that, he was accepting responsibility. Now, he didn't probably have any idea how much that meant and all the specifics of it, but that's, that's precisely what he was doing, is he was accepting the responsibility of the, of another human being's life. Because he's going to interact with her until he dies. That's what he said. Do you realize that when you say, I'm going to interact with you until I die? Do you realize how much that is going to change your life? It is more than saying accept responsibility. You know, we can just spout those words off. Accept accept responsibility, accept responsibility, accept responsibility. And never accept responsibility. We can say those words, but never accept it. Because we do not allow it to affect how we're treating that woman in our life. We can come... On Wednesday nights and see the, the Robert Lewis tapes and boy, they're good. And get up and walk out of here and still be mean to our wife. Get out, get, walk out of here and still uh, do our own thing. We can say, well, it says that you're supposed to accept responsibility. We passed the test of knowing what we were supposed to do, but we didn't pass the test because we don't do what we're supposed to do. And how many of us have told our wives that you are very important to me, you are special to me, and treat her like she's really the least in your life? And, you know, you you might be able to sit there and say, well, Brother Stair, I'm not sure you really understand. Well, living with Debbie for 35 years and being the kind of person I am, I can guarantee you I understand. Those of you that think Debbie is weak don't know her. You don't know her. In fact, some of you know more about me than you should know about me because she's not afraid to tell you. But the one thing you need to remember that she may have told you, but maybe you haven't comprehended yet, is that I am not the same person I was 35 years ago. I began to accept responsibility. And I began to lead courageously. Lead courageously does not mean to be in control of everything 
and to be dictating to your wife everything that you want her to do. It means to lead. It means to go out ahead. To take the blunt. You know, the point man in Vietnam... Do you know the point man in Vietnam? Do you know what happened to the point man in Vietnam? He's the first man to die. If there are any gooks out there... Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. But if there are any gooks out there... Vietnamese, Viet Cong... He's the first one going to die. He's the point man. The husband is the point man of the family. That's why it says to accept responsibility. Because it is not an easy task. Do you know that Achan, I just read to you that he cost the life of every member of his family, and every donkey, and every sheep, and every dog, and every cat in his whole family. Because of a decision that he made to lust after something and to go and get it. He didn't ask their permission. He didn't ask him, is it okay with you that I do this? He didn't say, now if I die, if you have to die for this, is that alright with you? He just made a decision and it cost them their lives. Sometimes when we read the Bible, see, it does that for us to try to get, to get us to realize the gravity of the decisions we make. That's the reason that's in that scripture. I've heard men say to me, My wife won't let me lead her. She doesn't want me to be the leader. She won't follow me anywhere. Well, that's because you're trying to take her where you want to go. That's the reason. As long as you want to be the boss and make all the decisions and you want to do the things that make you happy, she probably doesn't want to do that. She don't want to go there. I do know where she will go, though. I've learned that in 35 years. But I am not confident that every man in this church is really willing to pay that price. I do hope it doesn't take you 35 years to learn it, but I'm not so sure. I really am. I'm not confident. Because it was hard for me to change. It was hard for me to allow some of those things to go. To drop off of me. It was hard. This is not easy. Being a man, being the so-called leader, is not easy. In fact, if I would have fully understood it, if I would have fully realized the, the gravity of it, the consequences of it, the responsibility of it, I might not have made that decision. For one reason only. I was not prepared. Not because it's not worth it, but because I was not prepared. I put my wife through hell, and I put my kids through hell. Do you know this is learning on the job? And in some cases, it's not a good thing to learn on the job. It leaves wounded people everywhere. 
He said here, He that is faithful in the least will be faithful in the much. If you know those things that are much important to you and you make sure that those things get done, whatever they might be, then why are you neglecting the least things in your mind, which is the things that are important to your wife? Why do you neglect those? Because in your mind, those are least. What's the big deal? She doesn't need that. And you made that decision, of course. If you want to lead, I challenge you to begin a Bible study with your wife. If you want to lead, that's where you begin. You begin with the Bible. The Scripture says to wash your wife with the Word. You study the Word together and you wash each other. Mostly you'll be washing her. It's just a spiritual thing. It's not that you won't learn something from your wife. I've learned thousands of things from my wife. But my wife enjoys sitting with the priest of the home. So we say, I'm the priest of thy home. Yeah, you act like it too. (laughs) The priest of the home is a person that is more spiritual. Why are women more spiritual than men? They're not the priest of the home. It is silent, isn't it? Because there's not a good answer to that question. Maybe it's because men don't accept the responsibility of being the priests of their home. They have not rejected the passivity of saying, eh, that's not important. Yes, it is. What about praying with your wife? You know, some men, the only time they pray, if they pray at all, is silently in church. So many people say, I don't know how to pray. You know how you how to how to learn to pray? You practice it. You just do it. Time after time after time. I remember I did Dr. Locken's lesson a few years ago on the doctrine of prayer. And he was talking about how Adam is walking through the garden. And he said that God said, Hey Adam, how was your day? He said, Eh, it's a normal day, God. He said, how about you, God? He said, well, I created a couple planets and a couple galaxies today. He said, my goodness, God, I'd really like to be doing that. He said, well, really, I'd rather be down there with you and the animals. You know, just kind of like a conversation. And Dr. Locken said, that's prayer. And I went, huh? That's prayer? Yeah. Prayer is just a conversation. It's not, oh, God in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, the greatest one who walked across the earth. No wonder we can't pray. I can't even do it now. We See, we've heard those things and we've interpreted that as prayer. And so since we can't do that, we can't pray. When in reality, all prayer is a conversation. If you would pray with your wife, have a conversation with you and your wife and God... You'd, you'd see that you'd begin to lead. She'd begin to follow. 
I don't know too many women that I've ever heard in all the years that I've been in ministry that would come to me and say, you know my, uh, or, or I don't know any uh, women or men that would come to me and say, you know my husband asked me to pray the other night and I told him, I will not pray with you. I don't know too many times that that's ever happened. <laughs> because the husband hasn't really asked the wife to pray with him. So he didn't even have a chance to say no. What about keeping your promises to her? You know, in my early days, I made all kinds of promises I didn't keep. So, about 25 years ago, I started being careful what I said. Because <laughs> I realized that after 15 years of being married to Debbie, she didn't forget any of the promises that I made. Now, I don't think we should just make be silly and, and, and use it as an excuse. I'm not making no promises because I ain't going to keep my word. I don't mean that. But I do believe that if I say to my wife, yes, I'll do that. What kind of man am I if I didn't mean that I was going to do it? Do you think she just wants to hear you say those words? Yes? When you didn't intend to do them at all? And why in the world does a wife have to beg us to do things? Why? Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I called it the wrong word. Nag. Is that one better for you? <laughs> Is any of this real to some of you men? Say, oh, me. The rest of you have no voice, right? Your voices aren't working. Or, oh, I, I know what it is. Y'all don't want to accept responsibility. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. She wants you to... My wife has told me, I want you to lead me without reminding you. Because I don't need another child. Huh? Have you ever thought that your wife might look at you sometimes as being childish? How in the world can she let you lead her when you're childish? Some of you are looking at me like, this don't make no sense to me. Is it going over your head? Or is it just too personal? Listen. I'm not speaking these things because I haven't experienced them. I know exactly what I'm talking about because this is exactly how I was. And I'm not going to tell you that I have overcome everything myself, but I have worked hard at it. When my wife told me over and over and over again the same things, and this also irritates me about uh, some other people, you know, they know my faults, what irritates me is I wonder, well then how come you're repeating them? You know my faults, but you're repeating them. You're doing the same thing. That's irritating to me. You haven't learned anything from me. At least learn from me what not to do. 
then you learn two things. You learn what to do and what not to do. Two things, not just one. And I don't mind you learning from me. <clears throat> Get a handle on your finances. It's time. Just handing her the money and then coming back later and having a fit because she didn't handle it right, that is not the right way to do it. You ought to be involved in what's going on. You ought to be helping to make the decision. And you should not be making any decisions about finances without her input. She's not a slave. She's going to go make money or she's just going to sit there and, and just let you determine her whole future like Aiken, which means I might be stoned to death and I don't even know why. You know that you as a man have made decisions in your life that have caused your wife pain and she didn't even know where it came from. She didn't even understand it. And you might be even saying, well, Brother Steer, you don't know my wife. They're all about the, the, they're all about the same. Women are the same. Men are the same, generally speaking. They have the same complaints. All you have to do is talk to them. If you don't know what's wrong with you, ask somebody else. Your wife has probably already told them. Yeah, you can find out. Being faithful in the small things, in the least things. Getting your finances in order gives her some security. Helps her to feel comfortable, secure. <clears throat> Do you know there were years in my life when I did not have any idea how much money I had, what I had done with it, where it had went, because I just didn't pay attention to it. You can't do that as a, as a leader of your home. You cannot do that. You must know what's going on. You must, you must take responsibility for the finances of your life. It's your job. Sister Debbie works for Top Line. I don't ask her what she does with that money. And I don't care what she does with that money. Not that I'm not the leader, not that I couldn't have an influence, not that I couldn't decide, not that I couldn't have input. But you know what? I had my finances so mismatched and messed up for years. I have no room to talk to my wife about finances. She does better with her little check. How many in here has ever gotten any help from Sister Debbie? Any money from Sister Debbie? She took it out of that money. There was one time I was driving down the road. Now, I know this is not the same today, but I was driving down the road with Debbie and I just looked over at her. We are just talking and I said, How much money you got by, by $1,000? And I said, $1,000? Now, she don't have it anymore. But at that time, I could not believe it. Where in the, what in the world? 
You know what a woman says? Here's what she says. She says, you won't make me secure, I'll secure myself. If you won't lead and take care of me, I'll take care of myself. Do the things she likes to do. I've already been down the road of trying to make my wife do the things that I like to do. Do you know my wife played electric football with me? She doesn't like football, let alone electric football. But she did love me. I do not mind sitting there and watching the stupid nutcracker. I don't mind. She likes it. Makes her happy, it makes me happy. It's a shame it took me a long time to learn that. I thought if I got her to do what I like to do, then she'd be happy. No. I would be happy. <laughs> but she didn't. She wasn't happy. She just was doing it because I liked it. The other night I watched the worst movie I ever saw in my life. Because she liked it. She wanted to see it. And it does not do for me to just sit there and play a game while she's watching it. I have to sit down and watch the movie with her. Yeah, that's what makes her happy. It was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. It was horrible. But she cried. And she, <laughs> she had a blast. She loved it. She loved it. And if I can today, I'm going to take her to Macon and let her see another one that she's going to love. And I'm going to be bored out of my mind. But she's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm going to make a sacrifice for her. Leaders make sacrifices for their wives. If you really want to be a leader, you got to be the point man. you got to make sacrifices. It's more than just saying you love her. I love you. You show love. You do things to show that you're living that love. Not just saying it. I, uh, I copied this little story because it shows faithfulness, which is what I'm talking about here, being faithful to keep your word, being faithful to sacrifice, to put your wife above you, to think more highly of her than you. It says one stormy night, an elderly couple walked into a hotel of a, a little small town. They asked for the room. The clerk said, because it's a small hotel and a small town and it's a bad night out, we're all full. But I cannot send you into the rain. I'll have my room cleaned 
and you can stay in my room. The couple said, no, I, I don't feel comfortable taking your room. The clerk said, that's okay. I'm going to be at the desk all night. It's okay. I don't need my room. I'll have it cleaned and prepared for you. The next morning, when the man paid his bill, he said, you are the kindest man that I've ever seen in the United States. Someday I'm going to build a hotel. And when I do, I will contact you. Give me your name. The man said, okay. He wrote his name on a paper and handed it to him. He didn't think nothing of it. But a few years later, he received a letter from New York. And it said, do you remember that stormy night that I came to your little hotel? I'm giving you this ticket to come to New York because you are going to manage my hotel that I've just built. When he arrived, he was taken to 5th Avenue and 34th Street where stood the Waldorf historian. And he was made the manager of. The old man said, I told you I was going to build you a hotel. There it is. It was because of his faithfulness and kindness to strangers. He was kind to a person he didn't even know. How much more kind should we be to the person that we've promised our whole life to? We promise to be with them till the day we die. I promise you, if you do some of these things that I said this morning, she'll follow you. She won't have any trouble following you if you'll do some of these things. When you lead in these directions, she'll go. I uh, read this story last night. It, cur it encouraged me somewhat. It said one day a, a pastor who was about to be retired by his church was rebuked by uh, the deacon. He said, Pastor, something must be wrong with you. All these years that you've been our pastor, there's only been one person ever come to know the Lord. That one little boy that sits on the front seat. He's the only one that's ever come to the Lord in all the years that you've been here. The old pastor said, I tried. I've done the best I could. That day his heart was very heavy. And as he was leaving, the little boy walked up to him and said, Do you think someday if I worked hard and applied myself and got a good education, I might be able to be a preacher like you? Maybe even a missionary someday? Tears came into the old man's eyes and he felt like his heart was healed. And he said, Robert... I already see the hand of God on you, even now. He put his hand on the little boy and he prayed and he said, God, bless this little boy and make him fruitful and faithful. Many years later, Robert returned from Africa. 
His name was spoken in reverence. Kings and queens invited him into their home. He had added many thousands of souls in Africa to the Lord. When asked what had made a difference in his life, Robert said, Many years ago, an old man led me to Jesus and told me that I could do anything for God. That made a difference in my life. I do not know if what I've said this morning will touch anybody or maybe one body. But I've done the best I could. I ask you to pray with me now, would you? Say these words, Lord, help me to stop seeing things as unimportant. Just because they seem least to me, I ask you to help me to see them as being my priorities. Help me to put them in the place they belong. And help me to be faithful to do them. In Jesus' name, Amen.